Bonjour and bienvenue to Lulabelle's Francophiles. Je m'appelle Lou, and in this podcast, I will help you to keep your Frenchy vibes fluttering and help you to lose yourself in France without even leaving home. In each episode, we chat about our French experiences with guests who live in Australia, in France, and right around the world, and we share ideas for how to satisfy the Francophile within you. Francophilers can now also subscribe to my YouTube channel, Francophile Fix. Find the link in the show notes from today's episode, as well as the Lulabelle's Francophiles website, Instagram, and a fabulous Frenchie Spotify playlist. Alors, aujourd'hui, my guest has a brilliant French story to tell. I just love it. Jane Hiscock now owns a chateau in France and divides her time between there and her home here in Melbourne. She also loves to chat as much as I do. So it's lovely to have you here, Jane, on the Little Bells Francophiles. Bienvenue, ça va? Ça va bien. Bonjour, Lou. Thank you for having me. This is very exciting. Oh, it is such a pleasure. I recall reading, or maybe you told me when we've caught up in Melbourne, but you went to the chateau that you now own in Normandy, Chateau de Jonquet. You went there for a dinner party, and by the end of the night, you had bought the entire place. Is that right? That's it. Yeah, so tell me the story about how you came to be the custodians of such a beautiful place. Yeah, it was a bit of a surprise because I thought we were actually going over. We did think about buying something uh, because it was the GFC. So we bought it back in 2010. You know, all the worlds were aligning um, with the dollar and the euro. It was all perfect. And my husband, Steve, said, hey, I think this could be a great opportunity to actually buy something in France. So we'd sort of gone over with the intention to have a little bit of a look around, which I actually thought we were looking for a one maybe two-bedroom apartment Mm -hmm. and uh, of course we somehow walked away with the chateau which (laughs) still a little bit bigger I'm not sure how I let him get away with that but anyway (laughs) um, so we were staying with friends in Normandy who'd said oh if you're coming you should come on this weekend because um, there's a gorgeous chateau that we refer to as the chocolate box chateau because it's so beautiful and it's been renovated by a New York interior designer, and she said he throws the most amazing parties and it's just incredible. So we thought, absolutely, we are so there. This sounds wonderful. So we went off to this beautiful, beautiful luncheon party, which actually ran all into the night very late (laughs) as well. Oh, I love those days. They're fabulous. Exactly, particularly in the beautiful Normandy countryside. Towards the end of the evening... Todd said to, who was the owner, said to Steve, you know, Steve, would you like to have a tour? And he said, absolutely. And, of course, I was three seconds behind him thinking, (laughs) oh, my God, I'd so love to see what's upstairs, please. By the time we got to the top floor, Steve had been, you know, ooing and ahhing the whole way. And Todd turned to him and said, well, Steve, you know it's for sale. (gasps) And, of course, Steve has just turned to me and mouthed, you know, 
oh, this is amazing. We should do this. And I, of course, have just looked horrified. (laughs) (laughs) Thinking, excuse me, what? (laughs) Anyway, so this was all going on. I think Todd was probably very excited to think that he had had some Australian So you went Um, from looking, though, you went from looking at apartments, one or two-bedroom apartments in Paris, I think, and then that's where you started your search and you ended up with the Normandy Chateau. Correct. So Todd would have been thrilled. Yes. Yeah. We hadn't actually even looked at any and um, it was just a thought that we were going to do this and start to look in, you know, windows of real estate agents or whatever. Mm. And we hadn't even got that far which mm. to me was a little disappointing because the best thing to me is I love the looking. Yes. I love a bit of renovation, love a bit of, you know, I love a bit of property. I'm up to my 18th renovation and so oh. I sort of feel like I, you know, oh, I missed out on that. But then look what I got. So Yes, that's right. <laughs> it was a very easy way to buy. Yes, especially when you know the owner and it's just going straight from one to the other. So yeah. Why France? You said that Steve said the euro and the Aussie dollar were aligning and, oh, this might be the chance to buy something in France. Why France for you guys? Have you always loved France, even growing up here in Australia? Yeah, we both always have, Mm -hmm. which we discovered actually when we first met, which Mm -hmm. was quite funny because Steve actually started speaking to me in French the (laughs) first night (laughs) I met him, which, of course, I thought was terribly impressive. And um, I'd always (laughs) loved French and language at school and had continued it on and it turned out so did he. And when we were first together, we would always go and visit France every couple of years was always our plan. And then even when the children came along, we had to wait till they were a little bit older Mm because, you know, life gets in the way. But it was always the love of the language, the food, the regions, Everything about it, really. Mm. For me, the French style and the architecture as well. Oh, yes. So beautiful. Yeah, so it really, really came from that, I think, that we'd always had this bit of a dream, probably somewhere in Europe, but really it was France. And a lot of that was probably the fact we spoke the language and Steve is actually fluent in French, so that helped a lot. It does make a huge difference if you've got the language. I I can't imagine how difficult it would be to move to a country where you don't understand anything, you can't read the signs, you don't know what you're looking at in the supermarket, that I think would be incredibly difficult. So I'm hearing you there. That is a big tick. And the architecture. I mean, I'm always saying on the podcast how I think the architecture in France is sometimes just as stunning for me or sweeps me away more than the art in the galleries. Like, I just love the architecture. It sings to my heart. I just adore it. And not just the great big grand buildings, but every building, the amazing doors in Paris or just even a regular building will have little fleur-de-lis or masonry that's got ivy leaves or other little hearts or something in it. It's got that extra detail that is always so delicious. And even the little country houses and country villages, there's a different kind of architecture for each of the regions and I adore that because everywhere you go, you say, right, now I know I'm in this particular region because it's got this colour roof. I love all of that. I agree. Couldn't agree more. 
it's just amazing. It's the detail. I think they're very detailed in everything they do, I feel. Yes. Even the way in, a, in you know, the beautiful patisseries, the way they'll wrap the eclair or whatever yes. it is you're going to buy, and no one's ever rushed. They're no. always, you know, so particular about everything they do, and you as the customer are so important. Well, they are like that in the countryside. Yes. Around us. But that's because we're in a very authentic area, which is also one of the things that we like about it. Now, I was going to ask you about that. So tell me a little bit about Chateau de Jonca itself. You said it was a chocolate box chateau too. So what style of chateau is it? Well, that's probably a term that they just sort of used because it's so pretty and beautiful Uh, and it is very different to a lot of other chateaus. It's painted white with beautiful pale blue shutters and mm. that was done in about 1850. So we're currently tracing all the history of the chateau and the area, which has been fascinating because we're thinking of putting it into a book. Oh. And it has been amazing what we've uncovered. So ours was originally built in 1635 mm-hmm. and it probably was a manoir, I would have thought, at that stage. And then it was added to in 1850. Right. Added the two towers on the end in 1850, which would have been to follow the fashion at the time. Uh Everybody wanted their chateaus to look like, you know, Napoleon Trois. So they painted it white at that point and we've actually been lucky enough to find old photos that were given to us by one of the architects, the old black and white photos from probably about 1850, maybe 1870, Mm -hmm. and it shows the old family at the front of the chateau and with the two towers and all the work that had been changed and put into it. So that was fantastic finding that and that then led us on the journey of being able to find out, you know, a lot more things about it. You know, for example, in 2017, we did a very big renovation, which we uncovered the cellars that are underneath the chateau. Oh, wow. And that was massive. In fact, I actually thought they were going to knock the walls down the whole place. It was terrible. (laughs) (laughs) But they didn't. They don't seem to have the same rules over there as we do for Mm. building. Mm. And in uncovering that, we discovered that there's two quite large cellars underneath, one where they would have cooked and then brought the food up through an external staircase, which we also Mm -hmm. found, to the dining room. And then the second one, it's got a floor that has been covered over, which we're not quite sure when exactly that happened, with an extra concrete floor. And so we're not sure what's hidden under that. It could be a very, very large well, which apparently is um, quite common because we looked at them when they said, oh, it's probably a well, and we went, what, under the house? Are you kidding? I'm thinking, no. And they said, no, no, of course, and looked at me like I was completely mad, of course. And I'm saying, well, that just doesn't happen in Australia. You don't have a well under your house, but apparently that was quite common over there when they were building these. So that's one possibility. Or the other possibilities we've been told are that it's, you know, from when the war was, because we're surrounded by the war beaches, Mm. um, they used to hide the wine and paintings and things like that uh, or their, you know, precious goods under the floor. So maybe it's got a hidden floor. But um Oh, is that anyone put a hole in it to have a look? <laughs> yes, that history is fascinating, isn't it? 
sometimes I think it's the not knowing and the curiosity and then the finding out is just wonderful. Mm. I love that. Are you going to go over there and have a squeeze and try and make that a reality, <laughs> What finding out what's underneath? It's under debate. Our children very much, some of them are like, oh, yes, you must do that. Mm. But um, I'm not very good at changing old things or old history. I have a problem, you know, in a way repainting or covering them up because I hate to think of them disappearing. So mm. I'm not sure I want anyone to put a hole in the floor, but it's under debate. I think maybe I prefer the mystery of it. Maybe, yes. I have seen in some chateaus where they painstakingly remove each thing to either put in modern pipes or, you know, to, to find out what's underneath. And then once they've put in the modern kind of uh, either a foundation or something else that needs to happen, then they so carefully and so authentically replace as if it never occurred. And I love that you can modernise sometimes some of these old chateaus because from 16, what was it, 1665? From then, 1635, 1635 yeah. to now, I mean, clearly there's running water, there's all these other things. So chateaus do evolve, but maintaining the, the spirit and the authenticity, that's quite important. I can see why you would have to really, really think carefully and be quite considered about your decision of how you move forward with that. But yes. I'm, I am with your kids a little bit. I'm, I think the curiosity would kill me. I, I don't think I could not. <laughs> I could not know what's exactly. under there. <laughs> That'd be too much. That, that's it. So you said um, you're surrounded by the, the Normandy beaches. Tell me about that little area of Normandy where you are. We're actually probably a bit over an hour from the Normandy beaches in reality, but we're, we're located sort of halfway between Paris and Deauville. And that, again, was sort of just luck that we ended up there because we didn't really know that much about Normandy. We travelled to everywhere else in France, but we'd never been up there. So it's been a wonderful surprise to mm. find that there's so much to do and see in the area and how much we love the area mm. and how authentic it is. So it's like living in a very much a working town where we are. We're in the middle of fields because it's all farming land, but uh, our local town has just grown so much in the 10 years we've been over there. It started off, you know, it had one school and now it's got two high schools and they're currently building a university. So, Oh, wow. Yeah, it's been fabulous for us because, of course, it's brought so many young people to the area yes. and also the shops and the things that support all of that. The infrastructure has been fantastic. So we love that and we also love that it's still very much a French town. You'd be very hard-pressed to find someone who spoke English in the okay. shops or anywhere. And that is also what we were kind of looking for and fell upon really by chance because part of this idea to buy something was that we could immerse ourselves in their culture and discover, you know, what their lives are truly like and how do they really live on a day-to-day -day basis. And, of course, we just lucked upon finding that because in a lot of the towns in other areas, you know, down south and so forth, there's a lot of English spoken. In fact, we really wanted the opposite. We wanted to, you know, meet French people and eat their food and find out how they lived. And especially if you're fluent in French, you'd be craving that. 
really. Yes, yeah, very much. So it's that was a wonderful discovery for us that made it all work out, apart from the size that once I got over the fact that, (laughs) okay, it's not an apartment. No, no, (laughs) not quite. Is it only one train trip from Paris? Yes, so basically it's a very quick train trip. We're just uh, about an hour and ten minutes on the fast train from uh, Paris up to Rouen, which is the uh, beautiful medieval city that Joan of Arc was burnt at the stake and Mm. has some beautiful, beautiful cobbled streets and fabulous, beautiful town. And, yeah, and then we usually, you know, suggest to guests they pick up a hire car in Rouen and then we're about a 20-minute drive into the countryside from there. Gorgeous. Uh, Yeah, so that's our location, which has been wonderful because very well-placed. I think the other thing we really did want is something that's well-placed to Paris because it makes it so much easier. And you just managed to find, coincidentally, all of those things that you were looking for while you are at a dinner party, actually while you were at a lunch that turned into a dinner. That's just incredible that it just happened. It's obviously meant to be. Have you been able to spend much time over there given the past few years have been difficult for travel? I know you've had it quite a long time. 2010 was when we bought it. Mm -hmm. And we have managed to make it work through various things because our kids were at school here and we sort of juggled all of that, although the older two were about to finish at that point. Mm -hmm. Um, And the younger one actually embraced it and it's almost become part of his journey as well. And Ah. he came uh, when we did the renovation in 2017, he'd just finished school, so he came and did a gap year with a friend and worked for me on site when we were doing this really big renovation, and that's sort of been a highlight for him. So tell me about the renovation because I was wondering how much work you'd actually done. I know that you don't want to affect and change and keep the integrity of the beautiful history of the chateau but knowing that you've done a renovation what kind of work did you do through that so i we actually have just completed renovation number three so (laughs) when i say you know i said step oh there's not much to do that was back in 2010 we are now up to renovation number three (gasps) but 2017 was sort of our big renovation we didn't want to as you were saying we didn't want to touch the main section of it but there were some things that really did need attention for example you know it only had two bathrooms when we started Mm -hmm. and getting bathrooms into chateaus I think is one of the most difficult things I've ever had to do but very worth it but incredibly difficult because the walls are so thick and you can't always run through the existing panelling and the panelling can't be reproduced and there's all this sort of thing that goes on. So we added in 2017 we decided to add a really large conservatory that almost doubled the size of the chateau actually uh, at the back of the property overlooking the swimming pool. Right. Because we have many, many beautiful, beautiful trees and I always had this vision that if we could just have a beautiful, large family living area, kitchen, mm. a more relaxed area for people to, you know, go in and out, bringing the outdoors in really. Mm. Uh, I thought it would be beautiful. Anyway, we succeeded. We, we got that in. I always think it felt like it took a really long time and I lived there for most of 2017 getting it done, but in fact it actually was fairly quick when I compare it to other renovations we've done. Yes. But at the time you're so in the moment you forget and you're just sort of, you know, saying, come on, come on, <laughs> where's you, the plumber? And you're seeing everything happen incrementally, so it probably feels really slow when it really isn't at all. 
Exactly. So in 2017, we added uh, a beautiful, beautiful new kitchen, uh, a La Cornu kitchen. They're the stoves they cook with in the Ritz and it's a very famous French brand. Mm-hmm. And I just fell in love with them. And also they do entire kitchens that are made of enamel, which <gasps> I thought would be very useful as a surface in a conservatory. Mm. So it's been great because it doesn't fade or anything like that and it's beautiful. Yeah. So what colour is the kitchen? Yeah, I went for a French blue. Oh, yay. Oh, I love that. I love colour yes. and I love using colour and with the white background and the green of the garden, it was just a real pop. So we've been really thrilled with that. And then this gorgeous sitting area that's next to it that's also really large and then the doors just open up to the swimming pool. So it was <laughs> that was big. So we added that. We uncovered the cellars at that point. So we put a, a big staircase down to the cellars. Mm. We added in a couple more bathrooms. So how many bathrooms do you have now? We now have five which is great. And with the shatter, we've actually reduced it in bedrooms to sleep 12. Mm-hmm. So there's six bedrooms and one bedroom shares right. a bathroom. Bathrooms are really quite large. So, you know. Yeah. So I'm really pleased we've managed to get that done because that to me is one of the most difficult things I've ever had to do and I'm so pleased it worked. So it's great. Yes. And then what we did was we bought the farmhouse next door off the neighbour in 2013 that adds to our accommodation. Because once we bought this, I said, Steve, what on earth are we going to do with this? Because I don't like things just sitting idle. And I thought we can't have that massive chateau sitting by itself with no one enjoying it, you Mm. know, is the way I see it. And because we found that we'd had such a great experience meeting all these, you know, local French people and experiencing this amazing local thing that we never thought would happen. I said to him, you know, I think we should turn this into some sort of business so somebody could Mm. experience the same thing because I really, really want more Aussies or English or Americans or we do get French as well just to come and experience what living in Normandy is like and what living in our little local town is like. So that's where the rental business started and therefore hence also buying the Petit Jean K next door uh, Um, so that we could add to the accommodation. Brilliant. Well, you've got me hooked. So, yes, I'll absolutely be coming over there to stay at some point. Oh, it sounds fabulous. Yes. Now, tell me about Petit Jean Cake. So that used to be the farmhouse next door that you bought when it came up for sale. Have you renovated that as well? We have. So Petit Jean Cake used to be the stable house to the chateau and it was built in the late 1800s. Right. And the history surrounding that has actually been interesting too. You know, things like it's built of red brick, which we only just found out from, you know, this last visit when we were doing some research that the way the bricks, some of the colours are black, means that there was a kiln in the local town and that has dated it at about 1890 because that's when the kiln was there. So right. we found all these interesting things like that along the way. But what had happened was it had been sold off in the 1970s, as in the stable house had, mm. from the chateau and separated out onto a separate title to a French guy who was, I actually think, a bit of a French hippie. 
actually, Ah. back in the 70s because he bought it and turned it from a stable into a house. And they brought their children up there and he had the most incredible orchards and gardens and ponds where he used to grow his own frog's legs. (laughs) Really? Yes, and snails. And we actually call it the Garden of Eden because nothing stopped growing there. It's just relentless. You you feel like you come back and there's just, you know, ivy and everything everywhere and beautiful flowers. Oh, it sounds magical. It is, but in terms of maintenance, it's a bit of a nightmare. Oh, yeah, okay, I get it. Right. So he had done quite a bit of work in the 70s, but it was all very homemade. Right. And after we bought it, because we knew we want, we thought, look, he's putting it on the market. You'd be crazy not to join them back together. I also yeah. had this idea that, you know, if it's been like that originally, we should really try and put them back together. So then we had to do a little renovation on it which actually wasn't again wasn't such a little renovation even though we start out that way and it needed rewiring and all sorts of things it didn't have a septic it was just a bit of a nightmare but that's Mm -hmm. all right it was a very interesting project but on that I thought well I can't do this by myself I'm not going to live over there by myself for four months and Steve works in Melbourne so it's you know not always possible for him to be there for a long time So I decided, how am I going to get this done? And I thought, well, I need company. So I sent this email to a whole lot of friends, quickly got many, many replies, and uh, I said, you know, anybody want to join me? Painting, gardening, renovating, springtime in France, you know, what could be better, red wine, French men. (laughs) It doesn't get better. (laughs) Good times, meeting new people. Absolutely. (laughs) How fabulous. And I actually ended up with 10 girlfriends who all came over and it was wonderful because, in fact, a lot of them hadn't actually met each other really before because they were from different walks of my life. Ah. And I also loved that, that I had all these friends that came together and met each other and then now some of them have actually become firm friends themselves. Oh, I love that when your different worlds collide and those people they get along really well and then that enriches your life because you then can spend more time with them together and you might actually find they'll come back and stay at the chateau together with you at some other point exactly exactly well we've had a few parties over the years that that's happened so it's been wonderful and they've all been you know all our friends have been fantastic supporters actually of what we've been doing which has been great because most of our clients now are through word of mouth You know, one of the things we do is create people's itineraries for the region. Yes. And that part I really love, you know, saying to them, you're coming with a group of 20 people. Where would you like us to book your restaurants, create your itineraries? Because you can't just walk in anywhere with more than probably four people in in Normandy and expect to get a table. So... That has been a real highlight for me, not just, you know, renting it out to families to stay, but to be able to really engage with them and say, come and see it as we see it. This is just such a wonderful region. Oh, that sounds great. So what village is it actually near? We're near a village called Borsha, Borsha. which you would never have heard of. No. It's it's just very local, very authentic and a working village. So we're between Borisha and <coughs> Bortharel. 
Oh, okay. And you said that you liked that you could connect with the locals or that there wasn't a lot of English. Do you connect a lot with the locals when you're there? Oh, all the time. That was the other thing that was so unexpected and what has been such a joy and probably what keeps us there actually is the French friends that we've made. Yeah. So we've become very, very close friends with a few of the people. Um, One of them is actually the... Michelin chef in our town so he owns the restaurant and he and his wife were really fabulous to us when we first arrived and Mm. introduced us to a lot of people and I think that's one of the things we love because you know our other passion is French food and French wine so yes (laughs) well that helps very good friends with the restaurateur Actually, Jane Webster might have said that to me when I interviewed her. That was way back in Episode 7. But she's also got a chateau in Normandy. And she said that because she knew, I think it was the neighbours or somebody that was from the village, and then they introduced her to everyone else in the village. And I've heard it from others as well. Once you know one person and they start to introduce you to everyone else, then you kind of, I wouldn't say home and hosed, but it makes your life a bit more easy that people, they don't see you as such of an oddity when you are actually being introduced or being recommended from someone that they know and trust. I was going to ask you also how often you get back there to stay. Well, generally, I mean, it's always different or it has been different because You know, we had the kids at school and then that changed when they all left school and then there was, you know, COVID and all sorts of things like that. So generally it's about four to six months of the year that we would spend there depending on renovation. Oh, okay. How does it feel for you? I mean, I, I can't imagine, I like to think about it, but I can't imagine how it would feel to have your own little piece of French history and culture to stay and enjoy. So how does it feel for you when you are in Chateau de Jonquet? Well, I think we always feel like a custodian. Mm. You walk in and push back the shutters and open the doors and everything's creaky and, you know, it's usually been locked up for months because I like to get there first before, you know, we start the rentals. And there's always so much to do. Everything's covered in sheets. You know, it's Mm. like unlocking a big old house. And it feels, it does in some way, which is really probably a bit weird, it does feel like home. Mm. So you feel like you're coming home and it has a beautiful warm feeling to it and yet you still feel like a custodian. I imagine you might feel a little bit of a connection to the other custodians that have been there in the past that that you are following yeah. on from them and hopefully I suppose that they like what you're doing. It's great that you are modernising a part but not changing the actual chateau because you've added it on but being sympathetic to the way it already stands. Do you feel a lovely connection to the past of it when you're there? You do, you do. You feel and you probably feel the connection through the garden because oh. we have a lot of amazing, you know, in the driveway the trees are 400 years old that oh. were there from the very beginning of when it would have been built in 1635. And those trees actually used to run through the next field because the person who originally owned the chateau would have had, you know, many, many, many acres around there, hundreds of acres. So you feel this connection 
when you touch the walls or when you when you're going through the garden and you're walking through these amazing trees there is definitely a connection to the past and you it's got just such a comfortable feel Mm. it's really interesting a very very comfortable feel Mm. even looking at photos of it to me it exudes this kind of warmth like it's going to open up its arms and wrap you up when you go there it has that sense Mm. yeah very much it does feel like that and it also feels for some reason it always feels like a party house I don't know why that is but it feels so welcoming and you you feel content it's a very happy place I think it must have had a very happy past because it always feels very happy. And we get home and we always, to her, and we call her a her. I'm not quite sure why, but she seems like a she. Yes. And you do feel like she, you know, breathes a sigh of relief and says, oh, they're back. That's great. A bit like, you know, when we first saw her after not being able to get there in COVID, I felt like she'd been hanging on waiting for us to come back to fix her because she had a lot of problems after two years of not being lived in because they can't be left. And, of course, we couldn't get there. That was very much how it felt. I felt like she was literally hanging on waiting for someone to come and save her and help her. Probably breathing a sigh of relief when you got back there, I imagine. (laughs) Which I wasn't. Yes. Do you think you'll ever make the permanent or or long-term move to Normandy and to Chateau de Jonquet? No, definitely we see it as as a lovely addition to our life and a beautiful experience, but our our home will always be Australia Hmm. and our life will always be in Australia. We would probably never spend more than six months there. What can visitors who might come from Australia to Chateau de Jonquet expect from that part of Normandy? I know you mentioned the beaches and, you know, there's war memorials and things like that around that area, but what are some of your favourite things to do in that region? I think that was another great surprise. There's an enormous amount to do in Normandy, which is really quite varied. So, you know, there's a lot of hikes and walks in the forests. We're surrounded by four or five beautiful, magnificent golf courses and, you know, things like antiquing and brocanting in the market and then just the authentic French markets. There's, you know, old ruins, monasteries, Monet's garden, all the Impressionists used to paint up there. Yeah. So there's many, many beautiful scenes that people would have seen depicted in in so many of his artworks. Yes. And we're also near to the coast. So Deauville, which is one of my favourite places, I'd have to say, mm. the Parisians often have beach houses there, so that's on the beach, and I love Deauville. And then there's Enfleur as well, which is oh. just magnificent, and Etretat which is another one that we love to go to, which is a bit like the White Cliffs of Dover. You know, it's these massive, massive cliffs and there's a beautiful place which has got sort of modern art installations called the Jardin d'Etretat and it's all set amongst a garden and it's just magnificent. So we love doing walks and hikes up there. There's just so much to do. It's incredible. That's why we love it. We're never bored and we like to get out and do things. So, you know, in fact, the thing that we, we don't do the most of is probably sit by the pool, which, <laughs> was, well, which you know, sit by the pool and read a book would be nice as well. That's always nice. But it sounds like there's so much to do, which is 
really exciting and interesting, but with these little idyllic moments popping out. So how do you stay connected to France and and get that French vibe going when you're not there? Well, one way that I do that is I've actually just developed a beautiful candle with a local candle maker that's nearby in a village near us. And I must say I love that the scent of the chateau is this candle. And when I'm at home, of course, I light the candle and then I feel like I'm, oh. you know, being transported a little bit back to Jonquet yes. and the and the smell of the chateau and Petit Jonquet. So that's one way that has made a difference. How can I get my hands on one of those candles? Is that through your website? I can buy one of those? It is. If you just, um, at the moment, I'm doing it directly. So right. people just need to contact me directly on through the website and uh, I can organise it for them. I've got a new delivery coming in March, so if anybody's interested, they should get in touch. Yes. Oh, the scent of France just in your home, I love. I actually have a perfume too that is not an overly famous one, but it has this smell. It's called Il Saint-Louis, and it has this smell that transports me there all the time. And even my stepdaughter says, oh, you smell like Paris today. And she's never been there, but she doesn't know what it actually smells like. But to her, to her, that's now the smell of Paris is when yes. I'm wearing that, which is quite lovely. Scent is one of the most fabulous things. Um, the smell of a place, you know, it mm. just transports you immediately back, doesn't it? And I think that's Definitely. that I wanted to develop the candles. Yes. Because it was, you know, I thought this is, I'd just love to be able to take this home, this gorgeous smell of the chateau. Absolutely. That's gorgeous. Gorgeous. Mm. Now, there are a few questions that we ask on almost every episode of the Little Bells Francophiles podcast. The first one, and you've already kind of helped me float away and escape to France momentarily, but this one always does that to me. Describe for me your perfect French day. Uh, well, I would have to say my perfect French day is getting up early, driving up to Deauville going to the the market there. But first, before I do that, there's a gorgeous little cafe that overlooks the market. And I do this almost every time I arrive and when I leave. I'll go to the cafe, have breakfast. They do this incredible freshly squeezed juice that's just superb. Mm-hmm. With have my what I always think is going to be my last or my first croissant, depending <laughs> on, on the, whether I'm arriving or departing. I love doing that. Then I pop over to the market, wander through all the stalls, say hello to all my friends that are some of them are the shopkeepers there and have a wander, buy whatever it is that I want to either cook for dinner that night or for the next day and then go back to the chateau, usually sort of spend the afternoon either working or, you know, tidying up, sort of cleaning everything and making sure it's all good. And then usually probably in my perfect day it would actually be going to our French friend's restaurant rather than me cooking, uh, which is, you know, just down the road and having his food is just incredible and I miss it so much when we're not there and he does the most amazing fragois I think I've ever eaten in the whole of France Mm. and a grand manier souffle which is my absolute favourite and I have managed to bribe him to give me the recipe which I'm very excited about (laughs) and either that or going to some of our French friends houses for dinner Uh, that would be my perfect 
day in France. It sounds like a gorgeous day. I can absolutely see why that would be your perfect and your favourite things to do on a French day. I know you just mentioned the Grand souffle and foie gras, but is that your favourite French food or what is your favourite French food to order when you're out or perhaps to make it home? I'd have to say that is my favourite. Any of Fred, our friends' cooking is my favourite uh, when I'm in France. But oh. mm. to cook, I actually have another favourite because I actually do like to cook as well. And um, when we first bought it and our son Jackson came over to, you know, do the sale and it was all very exciting, he was the only one of the children who came because he was the youngest. And he said, Mum, I want you to cook that beautiful dish that you make in a creamy sauce. And I have this dish that just evolved really from being there. I bought in the shops what I thought was veal, a scallop of veal, Mm -hmm. but in fact it was turkey. And I'd never had, never seen a scallop of turkey before. And so I bought it and I put it together with leek and mushroom in magnificent cream from Normandy, which is just Amazing, And then I add a little bit of apple jelly to it because the two things Normandy is famous for is its cream, its butter and its cider, Mm. the apples. So that is actually what I love to cook when I'm there and I think that's my favourite dish and I have to say that's Jackson's favourite dish. (laughs) Do you have a recipe for that? I do. Look, I make a lot of recipes up. As I go, I don't seem to be able to stick to anyone's recipe. I'm always adding or yeah, subtracting I or do that too. Mm. throwing in, you know, it's just part of creating, isn't mm. it? Mm. And so I do actually have a recipe for that one. I have written it down and that's one that's a keeper. Yes. Can we share that with the Little Bells Frank Fast yes. listeners on the website? Because sure. I have loads and loads from podcast guests recipes that are traditional French recipes and ones that they found on their travels or ones that I've had on my travels. But I love the fact that we can have French-inspired recipes, things that we make that we are inspired by, by the area that we're enjoying and living in or staying in. I actually do okay. a Lyonnaise salad, which is not like a Lyonnaise salad that you'll get in Lyon, but I do my own version of that here and I've actually had that where I've put, I've shared that in an episode as well because the flavours, like you said, the cream, the apple, the butter, the Normandy butter is so famous. So using that and then putting it together with other traditional French ingredients like leek, that sort of stuff, I think, it helps us continue to feel connected to France even if we're not sticking strictly to the traditional foods or recipes. So true. Mm. I also have this image of cooking it, I think, always on that stove in a copper pot, which just (sighs) now I just want to go back. (laughs) making me feel very homesick. Yes, yes. Do you listen to French music at all? Yeah, we do. Yeah, sometimes. Probably a bit of a fan of Nouvelle Vague. Oh, I love Nouvelle Vague. Yeah. And uh, I would say I I quite like uh, Cammy as well. Yes, yes. Have you got a fave song? I've actually got a new fave with Nouvelle Vague, which is not actually a new song, but it's one where Vanessa Paradis is singing with them, and I love that combination. It's really quite gorgeous. But have you got a fave from any of them that we could share on the Little Bells, Francophiles, Frenchie Spotify playlist? Yeah, great idea. Mm. Um, 
I would say that one of Cami that's called In a Manner of Speaking. Uh, I like that. It's in English, but I love that one. Oh, we can still whack that in there. She does have a beautiful mm. voice. And gorgeous just, voice. Just a gorgeous style, I think. So we will share that one on the Little Bells Breakfast Spotify playlist because I hear from a lot of people that they just tap into the playlist and they listen to that while they're in the car or anywhere else so it just transports them away and they can think of France while they're actually listening to the music, which is a lovely thing to do if you're feeling homesick like you are now. Yeah, that's great. I need to start playing that right now, actually, yeah. Lou. Because it is possible for us to feel homesick for a place that we've never actually lived, although you do spend an extraordinary amount of time there. But I often feel like I'm homesick for France and I've never lived there. So I, I do understand that sense of, oh, my goodness, I just want to go back there. And when that happens, when I'm overwhelmed by that, I just listen to French music and all of a sudden I feel better. Perfect. Mm. I think that sounds such a good solution. Yeah. Brilliant absolutely. solution. That and go to a really nice French restaurant and, and you see oh, it. Oui, 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 to the food. Oui. <laughs> well, merci beaucoup for spending this time with us today, Jane, and for sharing this story of yours, your wonderful French story of your chateau and a little bit also of what that part of Normandy is like. Well, there's lots to explain, lots to see and do, and we'd love to see you up there or anyone who wants to come, make sure they look us up. Absolutely. Alors, c'est tout et c'est la fin aujourd'hui. That is all for another Little Bells Francophiles episode. I hope you're enjoying being transported to France via our podcast chats with some brilliant guests like Jane and their French stories. To be notified when new episodes are released, subscribe on your favourite podcast platform or follow Little Bells Francophiles on Insta. That's where you'll also find lots of my personal French photos as well as some from our Little Bells Francophiles guests. You can now also subscribe to my YouTube channel, The Francophile Fix, where I post little movies and clips to keep your Frenchy vibes going. Now, for all of the links from today's chat, including the links for Jane's Chateau de Jonquet to book a stay, as well as Jane's website and Instagram and her fave music, A Recept, head to the Little Bells Francophiles website to blog post number 93. That's The website link is in the show notes for today's episode as well. Then come and join me next time on the Little Bells Francophiles and together we can stay connected to our fave destination, France. Au revoir et merci encore, Jane. Merci. Au revoir de moi, Louise Prichard. Bonne journée et à bientôt, mes amis.